Today's episode is episode 209 and today's episode is called Escapism or Realism. So today's episode is inspired again, once again, by Lost in Thought, The Hidden Pleasures of an Intellectual Life. Today's episode I just want to explore this idea of whether an intellectual life in the form of reading and writing is a form of escapism or is it a form of realism realism in the sense that does it help you see reality more clearly or is it you seeing the world disliking the world and escaping into an alternate reality going to get into this today because it's something that i have been feeling out over the years and something i want to express and put words to and i found in this book there were some interesting points some interesting ways of saying things that helped me to to think of ways of expressing this so that's why i'm doing today's episode and if you're listening in as well and you've got the same types of proclivities as i do this might be helpful to help you understand or explain some aspects of your drive to to the intellectual world for the sake of it so the first part is first point i want to make talk around is the breaking apart of wishful thinking so i'm just going to read a few things from the book to get started here so zena she says that it isn't just an escape from the world trying, creating, and experimenting towards the collapse of wishful thinking as it hits reality. So this is our point here about it not just being a form of escapism, that the intellectual path helps you to see your wishful thinking and allow it to collapse in the face of reality. So I've seen this play out in my life over the years, in the form of delusions I would have about the world that didn't turn out to be accurate representations of reality. And it's easy to 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 not recognize delusions, not recognize what you've learned from them. And I think what Zena is pointing to here and what I want to point to is that when you consciously work on your thought process through through reading, through writing, and when you add some self-reflection consistently in your days, then that gives you the opportunity to actually see the wishful thinking that was in action in your delusions, and it just helps you to free yourself from them. So there's been many different delusions I've had, different aspects of wishful thinking that I've had over the years. Just try and think of an example like I, I know once like the thing is with wishful thinking is that when you actually start to speak it out it sounds insane that you were operating this way because a lot of it's bound up in childhood wishful thinking things that you believe to be true about the world in childhood that are so deep in your map of the world that you don't even know that they're still a part of that map so just think about it in your own life in terms of your evolution with your parents or your guardians. Just in the evolution over time as you start waking up to the fact that your parents are mortals and they're valuable just like anybody else. 
and you start to see some of their erroneous beliefs and some of the wishful thinking you had, I guess, around seeing them as godlike figures starts to disintegrate. You can even, I, I even just taking this podcast as an example, before I started doing this type of work, I always thought that the cream rises to the top. That if you do good work, you put your heart into it, then they're the main things that will lead you to success in the online world, the offline world. But from doing something over time, I've realized that's not necessarily the case. There's a lot of different factors in it. There's, because I guess I didn't appreciate that just like I have delusions and just like I can have a tendency to fixate on myself, other people are just like that too. That they don't care as much about what I do or who I am as I might think initially, the wishful thinking part. It's more on, on the unconscious level, really. Because consciously you might think you know that people don't think about you that often. But it's really true the experience of facing reality and reflecting on it and actually sifting through this these parts of your world that were built on wishful thinking that you start to see things a little bit more clearly. So this is how the intellect, how pursuing intellectual activities for the sake of it can be beneficial because it makes this stuff more conscious. You might learn these lessons, but I think you will learn them at a deeper level when you reflect on them and you're more conscious with them. Another thing she said is reality is not up to us. I think that's another thing that you recognize. That's something that I've recognized as I've pursued the activities that I would deem as more intellectual today. It helps me to see that reality itself is not created by me. My map of reality is created by me, but reality itself isn't. And I guess the thing is, you're, I'm never going to get a clearer picture on reality, but what I found helpful is to feel more. Feeling more seems to give me a better grasp on reality because oftentimes when I'm not feeling or when I'm holding my breath it somehow seems to constrict aspects of reality from me it seems to hide aspects of reality from me so it's like it's like going through a fun fair and you're afraid of going on the Ferris wheel, but you have to go on the Ferris wheel. And you feel like when you get on the Ferris wheel and you hold your breath, it in some way keeps you safe from the possible dangers. That's how I feel holding my breath feels in real life too. At some level, it feels like it's hiding parts of my experience that I would rather keep hidden. And the intellectual path is a form of realism because it can help you work on this stuff. So I guess when I'm talking about the intellectual path, it's not just 
reading books. It's doing things you're afraid of doing. Feeling feelings you're afraid of feeling. And engaging in different forms of therapy. That's all in the 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 world I'm describing today when I'm talking about escapism or realism. Because I do think that there's an element of escapism with with this. You're recognizing that in your immediate reality there's aspects of it that you're not happy with, you're not satisfied with, and deep down you believe things can be better, they can be different. You don't know what that looks like, but you know that it's somewhere else. You have to orient your your focus in a different direction because as long as you're focusing on what you're not happy with, you're just going to keep getting that. So you're recognizing that the reality you're living in right now, there's many aspects of it that you're you're not content with. You don't know how they can change or what or what that would look like. But you feel deep down that they can and you're open to looking in some unknown direction because it's better than looking at the known direction that you're not satisfied with. So another thing she says on this point is to be dominated by the senses is to be helpless in the face of whatever they present. To be drawn helplessly from one thing to another. So that's the other thing that, that the intellectual route gives you. It gives you a form of transcendence from purely the the senses that we have as human beings. So smell, sight, hearing, touch. I'm missing one, there's five of them anyway. But by recognizing that there is a lot of power in the mind to the extent that you, I guess I'll, I'll never fully understand the power of the mind, but it, it, it helps shift the focus then from purely focusing on the senses. Because the senses can trap you when you don't feel like there's somewhere else to focus on because if you're focused purely on the senses you're going to focus on what's in front of you right now in the physical world that's what you're primary primarily focus on so that's a good point i think as well for the possibility of escapism in the form of escaping your current reality but also in terms of realism in that I guess you're recognizing what the current reality is built on. And this will lead in slightly to the next point. So the next point I'm going to talk about is treatment by others. So there's one quote here I want to to mention that she mentions in this book. So she says, The way that others treat us gives us an image of who we are. An animal to be controlled, a piece of property to be traded, a vehicle of pleasure, a rung on the social ladder to be ranked or climbed upon. We escape from these images to recover fuller and truer ways of thinking about ourselves and thus to find fuller and truer ways of being. Let's tie back to escaping what's in front of you right now. So I think when when escapism is used as a term by someone who hasn't really thought about what escapism is, hasn't reflected a bit on it, I think inherent in that it's the... It's the meaning that you're escaping from something that's very real. There's no getting around it. 
there's no subjectivity to the thing you're escaping from, you're trying to escape from. So when I hear people talk about reading books as a form of escapism, I often I normally get the sense from, from that phrase that what they're saying is that life, my life is objective. That there's an objective reality here that I can't That I can change so I just need to escape from it every now and again so inherent in that phrase when I hear it is the belief that the reality right now can't be changed in any meaningful sense it is what it is can't be changed it's concrete but that's not recognizing that that concrete reality you're looking at there's fundamental aspects of that that were built purely from human thought. So if that's the case, then why can't human thought build an alternative reality, an alternate reality? Why can't it start to change aspects of that current reality if human thought were the foundational building blocks to that reality you're looking at right now? So this is what the intellectual world has opened up more to me. It helps you to recognize the nature of what you're looking at in front of you right now and then to I guess the other thing insinuated in that phrase of that books and stuff are a form of escapism I feel like it diminishes the power of a book when you see it as just a book and you're escaping into your imagination for a few hours that's fine. That's what the way you want to live. That's not the way I want to live. And it's not the way I want to live because I believe in the power of thought and the power of words to actually change aspects of your reality. It's not going to happen overnight, but things can change in a meaningful sense over long periods of time. So I'm thinking more in terms of decades, 10 years time, 20 years time. I'm thinking that far off into the future that substantial change can come in how you feel about the world, your sense of who you are, how you think about the world, how you interact with the world, the relationships you have. Like, they're fundamental parts of your reality right now. And it takes deep work to change that. But it's possible. It's not a concrete thing. It's not a concrete reality that you can't alter in some meaningful sense. And it's true the path of what I'm describing here, more the intellectual route that will help you to unlock this for yourself, if you're not already doing that already. So then this will just tie into the last point, pulling out the rug from ordinary life. So whereas political and social life is often categorized by use, by the diminishment of human beings into what is delimited by their social expectations, intellectual life opens up ways of relating that are not that are based not on use but on mutual respect in light of a common goal. So you see there that that's that's so ordinary life again. It's uh, there's certain aspects of quote unquote ordinary life that just don't feel good to me at all. And it's it's summed up really well here. It's 
when we're viewing ourselves through our use our uses so we're, we're looking at people through the uses they are to us that's a large part of ordinary life that's a large part of of relating to other people especially people that you don't know that you don't have a, a more close relationship with it's 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 the it's, it's an easy default way of operating in the world that we can allow to consume our worlds that's ordinary life but again when you when you look at this sentence it's it's the way we're relating to each other which starts with how we're thinking about each other and how we're thinking about ourselves so when you put in the time to self-reflect and to loosen your grip around how you think about yourself and how you think about other people how you relate to other people then that's where you get the chance to change ordinary life over time again in some sort of meaningful sense when you tie it back to this because as long as you're looking at ordinary life as systems and sort of political system economic systems it's too large to change in a meaningful sense but when you start looking at more of the threads that combine the people within these systems and you started it first from yourself what's the thread that's connecting you to other people and what's the way you're thinking about yourself that's making you see yourself in a certain way and making yourself making you relate to people in certain ways that's where real change can come about and that's all through the thought process through the from reading books or from writing or from podcasting expressing yourself in some way therapy speaking things out that's when realities can be altered and so it's a form of escapism from your current reality but then it's a form of realism because you're recognizing what your current reality is built on and you're recognizing that with a long-term approach decades-long approach that your current reality can change in a meaningful sense that it's more fluid than it looks to you on a day-to-day basis there are the main points I wanted to cover today. I wanted to talk about this because it's something I, I think about, something that it does frustrate me every now and again when I hear people talking about books as a form of escapism. But it annoys me when I when I hear the sense of defeatism in their voice. So I don't mind somebody seeing books and different things as a form of escapism if they're content with that. But sometimes I hear from people where I sense a defeatism in their voice that i'm not open to like it's a sense of defeatism that they can infect you with but me personally i'm not open to that because i i believe there's a lot more power to thought than than we give it than we give it in day-to-day life so I don't buy into it and that's why i wanted to talk about this today as well you might have certain frustrations like this similar frustrations like this too and i found this book helped me to verbalize it a little bit more there was one final thing actually when it comes to the escapism part of books it was a, a i think it was a cowman's son he was born in the 1900s he was describing his experience of reading tennyson and there was a quotation from him but the way she described his remarks was quite interesting. So she said, Hillier emphasizes the contrast between the drab and colorless monotony of ordinary life and a limitless world disclosed by books. But his interest is not in mere escapism or denial of the real world. 
Rather, he describes seeing reality for the first time, as in fact seeing through the false monotony and diminishment of ordinary life. He finds something more real, not less. His mind's opening like a flower in the sun indicates the inner resonance, the catching on of the books to a deep part of who he is. That was very beautifully summed up, I felt. It's recognising that ordinary life can be diminished by the way we think about it day to day. Because language is powerful. I don't know where you're living, but something I often hear is, where did the year go? Where did the day go? Time is going by so quickly. And I think a good portion of why time passes by, why our perception of time seems to speed up as adults, is when we live on autopilot. We take things for granted. We go through the motions. So we're wishing, we're starting on Monday and we're wishing it's Friday already. That's how powerful I feel thought is, the way we speak about things. And when you keep saying that too, it's just going to reinforce that over the years, that time is speeding by so quickly, where did time go? Whereas if you took the time to be more conscious with how you're feeling and thinking day to day, I feel perception of time slows down because you're not, you're no longer buying into wishing away your weeks to get to the weekends or wishing away your time to go on holiday, or, or these different events in life, or wish, wishing away your time to reach a milestone in life. It's when you start appreciating ordinary life, that's when I feel things start to slow down, and you start to appreciate reality a bit more too, you start to see it a bit more clearly. And the monotony of life, again, it exists in our thinking, our Habitual thinking about life can be very monotonous. But when you're open to expressing yourself a bit differently, thinking about life, reflecting on things, then I feel like things become different, that life becomes a bit more colorful. And I think you regain a sense of, of wonder and a sense of humility as well when you when you recognize that Life isn't within your control. Bit of humility with that, I guess. They're the main things I wanted to cover today. As always, if you enjoyed today's podcast, I would appreciate if you could leave a rating and a review. If you're on YouTube, subscribe to the channel. Uh, my books are under the under the videos as usual. If you want to buy my books, check them out. And that's it. Thanks again for listening, and I will speak to you on the next episode.